Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mr. Apex Podcast. Yes, yes, I know, again, but if I get a chance to speak to cool people, I'm going to take it. So we get to talk strategy with Mike Caulfield today, but first, uh, we have a return to the shed of Matt Two Rumpets. Matt, I don't think we've been on a on a show together in the whole of August. Yeah, it's it's been a weird bit of a... It's been a weird bit of a vacation that wasn't really a vacation as I've been basically working the entire time. Yeah, and I wasn't allowed on your special tech time show with your special friend Summers. Well, you know, y- your snoring might have interrupted the audio a bit. <laughs> it might have done. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm visiting uh, Summers on his island. He's got an island. It's called the Isle of Wight. It takes an hour to sail over there. So I'm going to have a real life pint with Summers. And I've already asked permission. I'm as loud as many as many beers as she says I can have. Very nice. <laughs> uh, so I, I assume the length of the journey is because you're bringing your vehicle with you. Yes. Otherwise, we'd be able to just just hop across. But yes, so I will get to speak to Summers and I won't talk to him about tech at all. Instead, he'll force me to talk about golf, I'm sure. But that's not why, why we're gathered here today. We're here to speak to a man who was a strategy guru at Haas and also at Mercedes, Mike Caulfield, joining us back in the shed. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Hey, yeah, good to be back, thanks. Um, mm. Yeah, it's been an interesting few weeks of months. Has it? Actually, Has it? I spoke. There's been no, no no F1. What have you been doing then? I've been um, sampling some other bombs of motorsports and other sports <sighs> to, to, um, to do a bit of compare and contrast. I see. Okay, I'm assuming this is in a uh, professional capacity, but I shan't pry, Mike. I shan't pry. But where where did you go then? Because obviously, like we come under fire for for not watching enough non F1 motorsport. And I mean, it's sort of fair. I'll watch Formula E and I'll I'll catch things if they're on or if I'm 
you know, going to an event. But I don't like follow, follow any series really, apart from Formula One, Formula E. Before your your trips this summer, were you much in the same boat? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, I've started to double a little bit in IndyCar um, over the last couple of seasons um, from a professional sense. And yeah, went over this uh, a couple of weeks ago to the Indy Indianapolis Road Course event, which had both um, IndyCar and NASCAR racing on the same weekend. Oh, so wow. That was very, very interesting to see the how how kind of teams do things there and got to meet a few people, got to catch up with Roman. So that was, a, yeah, it was a quite a good weekend. That sounds nice. Well, I have to admit, I of those two, what we, we should be watching a bit more IndyCar. And I've got a feeling that it's a, a sport that's on the up a little bit. Is that the sense you're getting from the industry, Mike? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, a lot of things they're trying to do over there is they, they know they're I think they fully admit they're behind F1 in terms of kind of the technology, the kind of everything about it in a sense. Um, I've, I mean, it kind of cast me back to working in F1 when I first came in back in the mid-2000s, um, whereas the teams are much smaller than F1 teams. There's like the technology there isn't quite there, but but it's good. There's a, there's a very good sense of community and it's like uh, all the trucks are kind of, very none of these kind of huge motorhomes or anything. It's, it's it's all just kind of working in the trucks, like the truck offices. So again, back to kind of what Wefon was ten, fifteen years ago. But it's it felt just a bit bit nice. It felt a bit more relaxed, a bit more kinder. It was oh. it was a strange thing to be in in that kind of environment. But it was everyone's really kind of friendly and yeah, it was really good good to see that and see see how they do things. When when I hear, you know, I don't hear a lot of Formula One drivers and, and staff talking about Indy, but we, we sort of do hear it the other way. And we hear, like, I'm not going to use the term like chip on their shoulder, but, you know, they, they know that they are probably lagging behind Formula One in, in general overall popularity at the moment. Is there a sense of like, hey, we've got a good product. And whenever I've seen, you know, clips or caught a little bit of it, it really does look they like they have a good product there. So why isn't it that they, why is it that they don't, stand out as much as, as Formula One at the moment? Um, I think it's difficult to say in, in terms of, because obviously it's mainly an American market and, and they've never, like in quite a lot of American sports, they've never, and this is me kind of reading between the lines, but they don't, they're not looking for that global appeal. They're not looking for that kind of, we want to conquer the world aspect of it. In, in that sense, they just want to try and mm. be good around, around America and around, around the US. So I think, in that sense, they've obviously competing with the NASCAR market, which is huge over there, um, which is obviously right. something again, which isn't um, isn't big elsewhere in the world, but it's absolutely massive in the, in the in the US. And it, to to refer, and that's the example. Obviously, we're in um, Indianapolis for the race, and I think the crowd was actually bigger for the NASCAR race than it was for the IndyCar race, um, even though it's not in the kind of traditional heartlands of the NASCAR country. It still gets a huge following through there whereas the IndyCar wasn't as 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 kind of supported so it, it's like you say in that aspect you go to any F1 race it'll be very strange to see empty grandstands whereas you're still yeah. seeing like even Indianapolis feels like down the start finish straight there's big bits of it bannered off with kind of sponsors and flags etc and then the grandstand's not open for for the fans um which so that I know it's a huge, huge arena. So there's probably still quite a fair few spectators there. But it, it that's that's that kind of 
Yeah, I, I don't really know the full reasons behind that. Maybe maybe Matt knows a bit more about it and that side of things for, than, than me. Yeah, well, uh, the most interesting thing to me about IndyCar, because this was a sport that I watched you know, growing up, is that uh, unlike Formula One, where we had sort of, uh, was it the, like the FOCA FISA Wars, where the sort of the ownership of the sport was at war with the teams and there was talk of a split and uh, you know Bernie trademarked GP1 to maybe go there and actually do that. But that never happened. In IndyCar, that actually happened. And I think a major driver in its lagging popularity relative to other motorsports is just simply the long-term healing of that damage because it did a lot of damage to both sides. And they had a fantastic sport, one that was much more on par with Formula One at the time. And a lot of the lag that you see now is simply a result of sort of containing and controlling the damage from that and just trying to get the sport back on a footing where financially it's viable for the teams and drivers because it's still, you know, it, it can still have its moments, especially for individual team owners. That said, I'm curious because one of the biggest differences between IndyCar right now and Formula One is the fact that IndyCar still has refueling during the race. Mm. They do it obviously much differently. But when you look at IndyCar, do you see things Formula One, lessons Formula One could learn from what does make for the good racing we see? Obviously, the biggest thing is just uh, they have way less arrow. So your power to arrow ratio is makes it much harder to control the car and sort of much more fun for the drivers, solves a lot of the following problem. But beyond that, from a strategic point of view, is there anything that you saw over the weekend that you're like, ooh, maybe we should try this in a sprint oh, race and see I what happens? I think you've broken your record for the most amount of questions in a sentence. But yeah. It's just one question with a lot of words, man. <laughs> um, no, definitely. I think... I think going through it, I think you touched on a lot of them, which uh, I think F1 is potentially, is the main one is the aero stuff, which you're never going to dial them back because he's tried time and time again with aero to, in F1 to dial it back. I think for me, um, his, one of the big ones is their the push to pass. I think that's, that's a yeah. good aspect because that can be strategically used and it's not just... Um, yeah, not just used for that kind of overtaking because you can use it to defend as well. And that's part of the issue I believe we've had in F1 this season is that the DRS trains, are because the cars are so closely matched now in terms of that midfield pack at least, <laughs> but you obviously have cars which are one, two temps, which means you get these big trains and then everyone has the DRS and then no, no one can overtake basically and it kind of affects it. Can you um, give me a you... primer on exactly what push to pass is? I mean, I know, but just for our stupid audience, no, I don't actually. I don't actually know exactly what it is. It's. I mean, they so basically they have two hundred seconds of overtake button, which basically gives more fuel to the engine to more power. So it's just basically a power boost on, in in that respect. Um, and yeah, they've got two hundred seconds over the course of the race. They can use it any time, any straight. Um, I think you can use it up to a maximum of twenty seconds per lap. So obviously. If you used it maximum per lap, you'd be done within six laps. So you don't use it and you have to be strategic about where you use it and when you use it. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm a bit lacking. I don't know exactly the power boost they give, but I think it's, it is fairly significant in, in terms of being able to get that overtake. But then 
yeah, it's that added aspect for a strategy point of view because you can look at the drivers around and you see where they're using it or how much they've got left and try and plan it in that sense. And I think this was the initial concept which F1 came up with with the kind of care system. So not the air system now, but yeah, the care system where you could, you could deploy that yeah. by basically pressing a button and that was the kind of thing. But, I mean, it was only seven seconds a lap and I think basically it wasn't limited throughout the race and everyone then ended up optimizing it and using it in the same places yeah. time after time each lap. So, um, and so, yeah. Well, technologically, I don't think it would be hard to have a button that allowed you to deploy more more power. I mean, they, they're very kind of, they've got big batteries in them anyway. So it is something that could be implemented relatively easily. Potentially, yeah. Um, but even in the sense of why can't we just do that with DRS? And yes. that's the kind of, in, instead of, Instead of using it as a as a within one second, you use it. You have two hundred seconds of DRS usage in this race. There See, Matt, it's true. we've been doing it in our uh, iRacing series, so we've been running the Renault three point fives, and you get eight DRS D- DRSs to use whenever you want. And we found it actually tactically like super interesting. So you get to the end of the race, and someone's really closing on you, and you go, "Oh no, they've got loads of DRS left." And I haven't gone any, got any, but that's that's worked just as well, Matt. And that does simulate a a, a power boost. Well, yeah, and I, I know that when I've talked with Summers about this, he, he, you and he are like the same person on this issue, which is limit the DRS usage and make it tactical and controlled by the driver, and you get an immediate strategic effect. Mm. And you get like I know the last IndyCar race that Scott Dixon won. He wound up he wound up with about thirty or forty seconds more push to pass than the person that was chasing him because he'd been fuel saving the whole race. So strategies you can start out with a strategy that winds you up with an advantage late in the race, or you can use it to try and build a margin and then hang on it hang on to it to the end. And both of those things, when we see them in Formula One racing, happen just due to natural occurrences like tire offset. It's always when we get the most exciting racing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it, is that kind of building up. And it kind of touches on, and I know this is a hot topic in terms of the kind of refueling aspect, which is which is good in IndyCar to, I think, and they've got it done. I, I don't, I'm not convinced it's going to work in, it will work in F1 if it was ever brought back. I just, I can't, I, I can't see it working with the tracks they kind of racing in F1 and the kind of cars they have now. They need to, I know, the fuel tank would be made smaller if they did that, but it's only going to be made smaller by 60, 70 kilos. And the point, so it's, it's kind of case, okay, but the cars are still 800 kilos, so it's not hugely, and you don't have that kind of nimbleness effect. And then you just get, it, then it just becomes like, you don't have these offsets in terms of, the tires would also need to change. And it, it, it requires a lot of change for refueling to be successful. And I think in some IndyCar races, it works and some it, maybe doesn't I, I haven't studied it closely enough to to ask it but i think that kind of pushed the pass up so because it uses the fuel obviously adds that extra strategic um element there but the one thing which i did like about the kind of um which i thought about in terms of the fuel saving and stuff is that obviously f1 recently i think i think it was last season scrapped the 110 kilo fuel limit and it was 110. It was 100 kilos before that. They upped it to 110, and now it's just been totally scrapped. Is it? And now basically, teams don't have to fuel save if they don't want to. They can put oh, as much fuel in the car as they want. Um, but 
again, this used to be back in back in the previous days when it was before after refueling had gone, but back in the old um, old engines, the V6s, fuel saving was a big part of it. So you'd look at when you'd optimize your fuel saving, and again, it provides that strategic option. So I don't really understand why F1 went down the route of making the fuel tanks bigger and reducing that because. All right, if they're saying that the race is going to cost 105 kilos and you only have a 100 kilo tank, it's up to the teams to figure it out or do something better. So it's. Uh, um, yeah, I was. what instantly came to mind was, Matt, where was that Formula E race where they were basically saving until the last four or five laps? Was that in Phoenix? It might have been. I don't remember. But th- there have been multiple entertaining Formula E races where basically no one has power left yeah. to get to yeah. the end of the race. Yeah, so <laughs> They've just gotten their basic calculations wrong. So I don't know, Mike. There's a there's a risk really with Formula One. Like, do we want to see a bunch of, of saving? Because we're seeing less uh, tire saving now this season than previous seasons. But if we have a race where you kind of know their tire saving and fuel saving, you you almost have to not advertise it to make the product more more interesting. Yeah. And I guess this is the case of where the refueling aspect does come into it because you basically go for an aggressive three-stop where you're not fuel-saving or a two-stop where you are fuel-saving, and that, that kind of plays into it. So, yeah, there's just potential points behind it, which I get it. But I'd also counter it with the fact that F1 teams always figure out a way. So they'll figure out <laughs> a way where they're having to save efficiently and and but not costing the kind of um, performance as such. And so, like, it wouldn't almost be noticeable. But, yeah, I guess in in the sense of if you don't have refueling, it doesn't kind of work because everyone ends up in the same bit. So maybe that part <laughs> of it, which is where IndyCar, I think, has that advantage of it where you can choose it around that respect. Are you, we brushed past a comment you made there about them having less aero and you'll never pe- peg back the aero in Formula 1. And my, internally, I was just screaming, why not? Why not? Why can't we ever just, you know, rip the wings in half, go back to groove tires or narrow, narrower tires? Because we just, we seem to have got ourselves in a position. What, what, Matt? Matt, groove tires. Stop it. You know I'm right. Uh, no, you're not. Um. You, that is the opposite of what people want. Uh, really, what you want <laughs> is the same level of aero, just with more power, uh, similar to IndyCar. But then your lap times are too slow. So you're stuck with the aero. And you're stuck with the good tires. Nobody wants squishy treads on their tires unless it's wet. Yeah, but but you know you know if look be, be honest, Mike, what 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 is a better race at the moment, an F1 race or an Indy race? Um, I think majority Indy car race. I'm I'm gonna say it's it's an interesting one again. You come back <laughs> to this race I was at the other weekend, and while the indicate finished off as an exciting race because um, yes, it kind of. Accumulated that kind of willy won't he hold on to the win and kind of get overtaken towards the end, but actually up until those final stops, it was a bit, it was a bit, well, it was a bit unsure what was happening for right. a start, There's which is kind of which is just kind of the <laughs> issue where you start going into these two three stops because you're never quite sure what's going on. It's so difficult to follow twenty seven cars, kind of saying what strategy are they on? Are they in with a chance? Are they not in with a chance? Are they still got another stop mm. to make? Do they not? So for that kind of general viewer it kind of becomes a little bit well that middle part of the race just becomes well we don't really know what's happening until this final <laughs> bit and then it becomes exciting but f1 had so, that with the refueling didn't they where you had commentators well, going oh let's try and count it one mississippi two mississippi i think he can go until lap 50 i, I don't know we never knew who's in the lead 
But this is also the case, I think, thinking F1 at the moment as well, whereas people go, oh, three-stop races are fantastic. And it's like, oh, well, I don't think they are, to, to personally, because, again, these early parts of the race, you're like, well, I don't really know what they're doing. I can't really follow. And then the graphics aren't good enough on the screen to kind of say, well, this is what this car's doing. So you're kind of a bit lost of where everything is until it all kind of pans out with 10, 15 laps to go. And then you go, right, now I know what the race is. <laughs> you're just lost in a little bit of kind of confusion in that middle part. I am mm-hmm. always want to stick with that kind of best F1 races is where you split between two strategies, whether it's a one-stop or a two-stop. As soon as you start getting to that three-stop ter- territory, it just becomes a bit, I don't know if I have, like, even as a strategist, like, and I like strategy, obviously, and I like doing it, but as a, yeah. just a general watcher, <laughs> it, it kind of, you just thinking, well, well, I don't, I don't really, I can't follow what's going on. It's not clear enough what's following, unless you've got, like, all the data screens, which not everyone has, the teams have it. And then you can kind of work out what's going on, but just watching <laughs> on the telly and like having commentators trying to guess what's going on more often than not being wrong about it. I was going to say, uh, how, how, how do you find the sofa experience as a strategist when you're listening oh, to commentators? You know, they're uh, doing their best to, to colour the entertainment and they don't have the info you have, but you must be that, screaming at the TV. Well, I watch on mute basically these days because <laughs> I, I can't. It's, 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 I mean, I think the last race was, it was, was it Spa, wasn't it? The one before yeah. and... I think the first lap there was um, about four cars making overtakes, even though they weren't even that part of the circuit. So there was kind of Stroll made a number of moves, and yet he was still down in 18th at the end of the first lap or whatever. It's because it was Alonso making all these moves. Oh, and right. It's just little things where you, you kind of they should be trying to kind of highlight what's going on or why the decisions are being made, rather than trying to guess at what's being made and even false information out, which is kind of then mislead people and. And it's difficult. They're trying to keep it entertaining, which potentially that's what they should try and do. But you've got experts on there and they're not used correctly. And then you've got commentators who are trying to be experts and they're not experts, the commentators. Obviously, we're not saying which broadcast uh, Mike is talking about, but commentaries... It's the German TV broadcast, obviously, I watch. Right. <laughs> so, uh, look, commentary is a, a very, very hard skill. And uh, and you'll see me demonstrate how hard it is because in our next iRacing round, Chris and Chris are unavailable. So I'm stepping into the commentator's booth. So if you want to see how badly it can be done, you know, check us out on Friday the 1st for our third round Renault 3.5 uh, at Watkins Glen. And, and and the whole time I'll be thinking, oh, God, I hope Caulfield's not watching. It's going to call me stupid and say I don't know what's going on. But I'm going to call BS, Mike. All these things you're calling for just happen, just happen to be the things that keep you employed. So as a, as a strategist or as a, as a consultant, you know, you're saying, yeah, we need um, uh, tyres that produce multiple stops. Yeah, we need refuelling elements. And Paul Adams asks a great question on Twitter. My, he says, my non-F1 watching friend asked me why they don't just make tyres that last a whole race. And I said, it adds more strategy to the sport. Which got me thinking, this is Paul, if they did switch to tyres that could last the entire race, what would be left for the strategy department to do? You'd be out of a job and that that's why you're pro fuel stops and um, and tyres. Well, there's a difference though, between tyres that can last the whole race and degradation. So that's how our first one kind of when you kind of bring it into it is that actually we have tyres which can last the whole race now. But no, not everyone, like if there's a safety car on lap one, why doesn't mm. everyone just jump in the pits and stick this tyre which can last the whole race and go to the end? Oh, because it's not point. the fastest way to the end of the race. It's the same if we've got two stop or three stop races, for example. After the first stop, you don't always just fit the tyre which can go to the end of the race. You fit 
a, a different tyre. So there's still, just because a tyre can last the whole race doesn't mean it's the quickest race. Potentially a one-stop race mm. still might be the race. They might have someone trying to do a no-stop race, but you might find it. So, so there's still plenty for the strategies to do. <laughs> but I think Adam might be going along the lines of, sorry, Paul might be down the lines of, okay, what if they just, uh, tyre choice wasn't a thing. You just had a tyre, like on go-karts, you know, and that is just enough rubber to, to go to the end of the race. It, they could push the whole time. They'd never have to tyre save. Would that be better? Oh, no, it'd be really dull. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's this is it, isn't it? Uh, I mean, no it like, in, in the grand scheme of things, is yeah, like, yeah, in terms of strategies, yes, you, I would be out of a job. Um, there, wouldn't, there wouldn't be a lot to do there. But in terms of race, basically, you're starting, your mm. starting grid would almost be the finish order because the way you get overtakes is by having tyre offsets and, like, or occasionally, obviously, if you have a car qualifying out in that position, yeah. then they'll come through a little bit. But the way you get overtakes, so even if you have a car like a Verstappen down, if there's no tyre performance whatsoever, like the tyres are all rocks, you won't provide nothing, you'd still struggle to get by. Like you, you're having yeah. to use it'd be it'd show it would definitely show an interest in terms of driver skill to try and get the most out of it, but you'd be very disad there'll be a very few overtakes throughout a year and I, and I don't judge f1 for going down that route you know when we're organizing our series we have a fixed setup that every driver has to use and we we tend to find ourselves going towards a setup where you at least get some some overheating and some deg you know towards the end of the race and then that's another element that you have to you know control and go hang on a minute it's not quite driving the same and so managing that tire evolution is almost like an integral part of a formula one um i wonder though you know even with rock hard tires you still have to treat them well um i wonder if you had any input on max verstappen's race engineer coming on the radio kind of telling him off for for not bringing the tires in gently enough is that something the strategist would get involved in saying look you've got to tell this guy he's got to go easy on the outlap because we need it to go to x lap uh yeah so generally i mean it's an interesting one. If you're, a, yes, that's definitely a thing. Well, basically, what we have is you'd have an idea. You have a target stopper. You know what the tires can do. The way the Pirelli tires are made is that if you push them early on in their tire life, it definitely takes a significant portion of their wear life out because just it's just the way they they're kind of constructed. That's the the way the compound degrades massively. And if you if you put that initial powerful bit into it over like one two three laps, then it will kill the tyre performance off I think the way the Red Bull one if you're actually a Mercedes or a Ferrari or Haas competing for it, it'll have a big effect I think Max is obviously in very much in the position now where he can do this a little bit extra and he knows he's got enough in hand so <laughs> I think people read a lot into it this kind of falling out, I don't think this is a falling out at all, I think it's very much the relationship between the two of them and they're actually um, yeah I think it's it was a bit a lot a lot was read into that one, which I think it's, it's, there was no issue there whatsoever. I, I, I don't know if you caught our episode on it, but I I was reminiscing that it was really similar to this time Paul Deresta was getting told off by his race engineer, and, and the the live chat piped up and went, "It was the same guy." So he he's got that style, that race engineer. That seems to be just how he talks to drivers, and presumably part of the reason he's employed. Yeah, I mean, and I think the difference between maybe a Paul de Resta and a Max Verstappen is Paul de Resta wasn't in a car which was going to win by 30 seconds. Um, so <laughs> it actually, the, the, it has the effect of, yeah, it's um, 
<laughs> it, that could have cost you a position or nu- numerous positions, whereas Max obviously has that much to play for. And I think basically all it, what a case it'll be as well is that um, he'll be fed the information to kind of like, they'll be looking at the kind of wear metrics, the tire metrics, and they'll say, right, this is this is the target. This is what we want to go, like push into it based on like the sliding energies. And Max will have gone over it, and he'll the tire engineer or the strategist or the or chief race engineer will have gone back to him and just said, just need to calm it down a little bit. And then Max obviously has he knows. I mean, Max is clever, obviously, that he knows what the race situation is. He knows that mm. basically putting this extra bit of energy in might might have cost him three four seconds of race time towards the end of the race. I don't think it was the, ever the critical point of I'm going to run out of tires because I've done this. It's just kind mm-hmm. of you maybe fall off a little bit quicker, but I've got plenty of margin to play with. Awesome. Well, oh, well, we've got no margin with Matt because you were away, Matt. You were moving your car because you choose to live in the city, but no one even noticed you were gone. That's how well I did just then. I cannot wait to see exactly what transpired in my <laughs> absence. Well, we covered all the tyre stuff, basically, so you don't need to do your tyre thing now. No, do the tyre thing now. Now, there's a couple of tyre things that you wanted to talk to, to Mike about. Um, I know the tyre allocations I don't understand at all, and I'm completely lost on. Uh, but I am curious about the, the new tyre constructs. They seem to be a step harder. Well, yeah. And I think this is a great question for Mike, because they probably did bring in uh, new construction tires at Silverstone. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you'd notice, was there any effect on the strategy of the different teams with these new tires? Um, I, I don't think it's affected it massively. Like, like you said, the, the construction has changed. The compound hasn't changed. So the compounds are the same in terms of the, the hardness and softness of it. I believe the construction, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the sidewalls have been kind of reinforced a little bit in in, in that bit. Um, so obviously that sidewall reinforcement does actually make the 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 um the tire act harder than it, than it previously was. Um, I think what the major thing is for what I've seen is that the actual warm up of the tire seems to be a, more of an issue now because of this. Um, because obviously you're not getting a like the information of the tire on those initial bits which means it struggles to get into that kind of heat ones um but actually in terms of the strategy i haven't i don't think there's been a lot that's massively changed i think silverstone was was as expected um and then trying to think back i suppose i mean it's almost two months now so it's kind of already left left my mind but um belgium and and spa i think again i think the spa was yeah, I mean, looking at last year compared to this year, the degradation looked almost the same in the Spa race as it did in last year's race. So I don't think it's changed it a huge amount. Obviously, the degradation being the same, while well, the cars are a bit faster, so maybe that actually done what Prelly wanted to do, as in, obviously, the cars are putting more force through the tyres, which actually, if you left the construction the same as it was last year and the compounds the same as it was last year, that the degradation would then potentially be a lot higher higher than it was last year. So actually that kind of reinforcement of it has made it now more in line. But I think I don't think they're in a bad place um with what the tires have brought this year. I'm actually yeah, fairly for from a Pirelli point of view, I think it's fairly, fairly, fairly good what they've done. Well, I mean uh, when tire no go boom then then that's always a win for the teams. And especially at Silverson, I think they're concerned. It is interesting to me, just as a note, that Pirelli more or less said, well, this is 
this is what we were looking at for next season. Yeah. And that both the FIA and Pirelli were so completely wrong about the rate of aerodynamic development that uh, they've, they've basically had to move up the 2024 construction to the middle of the 2023 season. But what will they do next season when there's even more? Well, yes. Uh, but I also want to ask, because there's another thing Pirelli's been talking about, and I'm curious to get your take on this, which is they're, been, they're talking about getting rid of the full wets altogether and instituting a different intermediate construction that could sort of handle the conditions, the worst conditions we're currently seeing the cars actually run in. And how would that affect uh, the strategy the teams are using right now with the two different tires? And you were in the sport a long time. As long as I can remember, people have always complained about the full wet tires that Pirelli brought. Would you have liked to have seen something like this when you were still active and in, in, in actively in a team. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I mean, this is it's a difficult one, this, because it's the sense of, right, why aren't the wets working? And what, what is the issue? Why, 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 why can't be, people run the wets? What, what is the main cause of that? The main issue, really, with the wets, I believe, is that actually when there's the conditions which are needed for the wets, but then you start getting too much, like because you got the ground effect cars and it's start running, you start getting kind of almost sailing on the on the water, and you have too much spray. So how I want I'd be interesting to see how does Pirelli construct what they call a super intermediate which is obviously the whole part of like the wet tire and the intermediates is removing the amount of water. But if you've got the conditions which are required for the full wet, you still need to remove X amount of water. So the spray issue still isn't going to be solved. So in a race, you probably, if you got to that level, you're still going to be behind a safety car or red flagged. So I think that's, I don't, I don't, that's the kind of main issue with it. I don't think it's that people find the wets are bad. Half the time people don't run the wets early in the weekend because you're limited on three sets and you never get a replacement and then you might need them for the race um 
so that potentially needs to be changed if you want people to kind of run it in practice sessions and qualify and etc but then you've also got to a point now where teams know that the FIA is kind of like for qualifying for example if you get to full wet conditions they're going to they're not going to start a session or they're going to red flag it so what they're going to do with this kind of super intermediate condition is it how how is it I'm intrigued to know how they're going to make it different yeah. to what the current full wet is which makes it usable compared to the current full wet I mean it's not a million miles away from you know turning it up for, to 11 is it what's what was that film uh, yeah, you know where they crank it up to eleven, but it's just it's the same. Yeah, it's the same dial. So like, if you it's just a, call it super rebrand, intermediate, isn't it, basically, yeah, they're just calling it something different. It's a shame because whenever rain comes now and you see rain on the forecast, instead of getting excited or interested, you kind of go, "Oh, it's just going to be a faff," and that's what it is now. Formula One in the rain is a faff. But again, it's well, like... I think. Sorry, oh, Mike, sorry. go ahead. Uh, no, I mean it's 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 a fact, but that's because that's how they've let them design the cars, isn't it? So because they're so close to the ground now, they just and and there's so much kind of again, it's it's fact, it's my biggest bugbear about F1 is the size of the cars, but the size of the cars then create huge amounts of kind of spray and wake and kind of aquaplaning in that respect. And yeah, I remember chatting to a, to a driver when like the new cars came in, so at the beginning of. Well, I spoke to him at the end of last season about this, and he just said, these new cars are so heavy, but if you slightly lose the rear end of the car, and this isn't even in wet, this is in dry conditions, he says it's impossible to catch, basically. Um, and that's the kind of biggest issue, is that the cars are just so like not built now for basically non-perfect weather. So you need to kind of get back to kind of basics to kind of make them a little bit bit less optimized or a le- kind of less efficient and stuff but actually then it would make them being able to run in conditions which aren't perfect it's mm. like the same with like kind of wind conditions now these cars are so difficult to drive in that you saw in spa when like cars were like missing the the Eau rouge um chicane because a gust of wind made them almost losing him verstappen almost lost it and they're just so optimized now for perfect conditions that as soon as you get a bit of rain as soon as you get a bit of bit of wind they just they yeah. just nightmares well as, as someone who watched a lot of cricket when i was younger you know i got i got used to that where you have to kind of you know a little bit of, of rain came over then you, you you wait and you go and get your cup of tea so well done f1 you've turned motorsport into cricket see what you've done <laughs> sorry matt you were trying to get in before well i just my understanding of where pirelli wanted to go with this is right now they start a race on the wet tire behind the safety car but they don't really race until it's intermediate conditions and rather than have two separate tires, one for clearing the water behind the safety car and then a second one for actual racing. They were trying to design one that would sort of bridge that condition so that you could start behind the safety car, but then not need to come in and put on intermediates. And I'm just curious if you think that's a good idea or a bad idea. Um, Yeah, I mean, anything which can kind of like narrow that gap between the two and and you can get it, but yeah, basically, that you can start the race, and then there might be a mix of people going towards the intermediate or sticking on this new tire. If it, it potentially, yeah, it potentially works. I think my biggest, I don't know, it depends how they do it. Is that obviously how does the how we've seen the intermediates wear to basically slicks, and actually then they become actually quite decent tires when they're in that slick condition. It means people are out of the pit. Is it the case for these new super intermediates? So actually, people just, if you actually run them in these kind of 
mid-wet conditions, if you keep them on, they actually transition into actually almost normal intermediates and 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 don't overheat. So that's the kind of thing with the the wets con, con, compared to the intermediates is that they're so different with the tread blocks on the wets that it's impossible for them to run in these kind of drying conditions where I don't know you kind of feel that the risk is for um that you go to these super intermediates but you can actually run them almost to dry you know, because as the tread wears down they actually become quite useful in these conditions I don't, I don't know it's it's this is obviously for Prelly to um to to try and come up with the with the solution for it well i tell you what why don't i ask you instead then because now we've seen it in action and plus we need to explain it to spanners ask you about the alternate tire allocation and how that worked out in real life I mean, I, I, I was excited to see it because, frankly, I'm excited to see any kind of a different thing happen in, um, you know, just because the teams haven't been able to optimize it yet so you can get some more interesting results. But what did you think of it um, now that you've seen it in action? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was skeptical of it coming into, into Budapest because that's where we ran it, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and it actually worked out quite well, but I'm, I think that potentially it only worked well is because we had the kind of the the weather issues in in kind of was it practice one or practice two? Not weather. Really. <laughs> you are anticipating my next question very so, well there. So that actually kind of made it more possible for kind of qualifying and 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 that respect um, going forward. Obviously, we run it again in in Monza. Yeah, we're running again in Monza, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out there. It's, it's, it's that one I think a few teams were caught out by it, but again, it's because obviously you had Russell go out in Q1, but I think that was more down to traffic issues rather than anything else. Um, so I, I've, the reason I was sceptical was because I, I'm not I'm a big fan of this kind of Q1 hard, Q2 medium, Q3 soft, because more often than not, the harder compounds are more beneficial to... The quicker teams because the quicker teams can effectively get these compounds to work easier than maybe cars which are lacking downforce. Um, so it was actually a surprise to me that the grid was a little bit mixed up. Whether that remains the same in Monza, it'd be interesting to see. My kind of, um, I always kind of thought the suggestion would be that, or I suggested it, is that to, to one of the kind of meetings is that, um, but we have this kind of you set a qualifying session per compound light, but the team's got to choose what they had, but they could only use one one session. So, for example, you have this season uh, an Alpha Tauri, they're not going to struggle at Q3, so they can use their soft in Q1. And then you've got Red Bull who go, well, we want the, we need the soft for Q3, so do we use a hard or medium in, in Q1? And then you get starts adding that bit of a strategic element to, to qualifying in that respect. Um, but I'm I'm open to see how it goes in Monza to see if it kind of does what it needs to do. I think for a lot of the feedback here, obviously the main reason for doing this is to try and remove the amount of tires being shipped around the world and and not being used. Um, I just think currently I don't know the drop from 13 to 11. While it seems like it, that's still quite a lot of tires. I think if you have a clean open weekend. 11's a real struggle you're going to start getting kind of p3 sessions with not a lot of running and or maybe earlier on in the in the um in the weekend because people are having to try and concentrate on on qualifying on the race and don't actually run much in practice because of it 
I had actually seen that same criticism and had that same thought myself. Um, what would you think of a suggestion then to just not return tires until until you get to qualifying? Because right now you have to return them a certain number after each session. But if you were able to keep those used tires so that you could continue to go out and run the car, is that something the teams would actually do? Oh, um, yeah, I think so. Um, it's it's definitely, I think, if you yeah, if you reduce the tire allocation but allow tires to be be kind of spread across multiple sessions, for example, then then teams will then start to optimize this kind of running, and yeah, more track time the better. Especially with like the harder and the medium compounds, which then have a like a longer run because for, for example you could say do your p1 when the track's not not great you can you can do some of your short fuel you're doing your performance runs you're trying to get your setup right and you do like you do your run on the harder medium but you don't want to do your high fuel long run in that session because the track's not relevant you can then carry and carry that tire forward to p2 it then allows a bit more preparation i guess the only potential criticism of this if you carry it forward is is that it does give teams potentially this more data, which we're trying to go away from. We've kind of seen evidence that if we lose kind of sessions to rain or sessions to to because of the sprint weekend, for example, that teams come into the race much less prepared. If you allow them this, teams will make the most out of it and 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 probably get to this get to a point where they've actually got a lot of data and the race might take a negative effect because of it. Okay, well, one thing that teams are absolutely not going to have to cope with is a lack of tire warmers, is they've officially kicked that can down the road. You're no longer involved in a team. So, uh, first of all, what do you think of the idea in general of getting rid of the tire warmers? Is this something you were in favor of or against now that you're not affiliated anymore? Um, I mean, I, I never saw... Yeah, personally, like I, I was kind of quite for the the removal of the tire warmers. It's, um, I mean, I don't, I don't. Again, I go back to the point. It potentially benefits some teams more than others, but it adds a different strategic element to it. And I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, it gets rid of the undercut." Well, no, that's not always true because we still have tires now which have a warm up curve. Okay, the warm up curve will be different, but, but. Um, if you bring in tires which are off the blankets, probably like with the full wets would create something which is a little bit different anyway. And you still get the case of, all right, the the undercut's removed. But if you come out, you stop a lap earlier, and then the next lap, a car comes on the tire on cold tires, you're still going to have that opportunity to then overtake them on track. So actually, it brings into the element, you can actually get more overtakes on track because of strategy, rather just overtakes in the pit lane because of strategy. So on that side of you, I was all for it. I'm, I'm, I think it's a it's a good thing to do. I don't. I've I've seen a lot of people complain. So it's not going to be safe. Well, they do it in IndyCar, and IndyCar cars are fast. IndyCar have circuits where they've got big walls on them, and like it's they do it. Probably would do something which would be safe. It's it's not a case of it being like like we were talking about earlier, rocks going onto the car. There's going to be tires which are able to be used fresh out the kind of um, out the pit box. They might take a lap to get performance, but it's not like the the kind of bog standard road cars totally unmatched to to the tires which they're driving on. So, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not fully sure why the teams have kicked it down the road entirely. Um, yeah, it's. 
because I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. On it was obviously by the time I'd left, it was, it was still far enough away that people weren't really talking about it. Um, but we're gradually reducing the tire temperatures anyway. I mean, yeah, even only five years ago, the tires were at one twenty on the front and one hundred on the rears, and now they're down to seventy. So it's already quite a big reduction in terms of the heating. And I know teams took a bit of a while getting used to it, but like I've said, Formula One P have a lot of clever people. It's it's I don't I don't know I don't understand the full reasonings why it'll be political. The, that that's the main thing. Most things in Formula One generally are. So yeah, that'll be. Yeah, I would I would argue it's because the teams with the advantages now now know exactly how it's done, and they don't want to have to figure out a new thing. Which you know, uh, my child was often like this when she had to do new things. Um, I wanted to ask uh, about that. Do you think it would uh, actually push teams towards making more stops because the drivers would have to push harder immediately on the tire, which would ultimately kind of shorten its life. I, I've seen that come up in discussions as a point, and, and I, I would be curious to get your take on it. Um, well, it's, it's enough because the whole thing about them tires being pushed harder early on in life is usually when they're at their optimum temperature, being pushed hard takes the life out of it. If you actually bring a tire in from a cooler point, you're not damaging the tire so much you might get a little bit of surface overheating which takes a little bit of this like kind of surface performance away the actual compound integrity itself because it hasn't got the heating cycle for it isn't really there yet um so i don't think i i don't think that would be an issue i i think that it's it's when the tires up to temperature and you're pushing it that's when the life starts getting taken out of it um i think pushing hard on those early that I think it would make for better racing. It'd be a bit sketchy on the outlap, which is already makes for better racing. Because I think that's a lot of the things which people have argued for with the new cars. They're expecting to see um, drivers fight with it a bit more, but they're still pretty stable. But you sticking a set of cold tyres on them, it'll be, yeah, I think it'd be a good thing personally. But yeah. Okay, okay. I have one. What do you have? What one? What, what do you have one of, Matt? One. I have fast. One button Question. on your instrument. I have three on my instrument because that's, that's all I can handle. Still, not very many. No, it's not. I just wanted to know before we leave this topic, how much team resource is devoted to just figuring out the best way to use the tire blankets. I've seen various team principals comment in the media, but you are in an actual team, so I feel like you would be a, a much better explainer of like. How much, how many engineers and how much time gets spent figuring out the best way to use the blankets over that two hour heating cycle they currently have? So now all the, so current set a system now they've got is that I believe all the blankets and boxes are now all the regulated and the same. So I don't believe there's any trickery which can be done by the teams in that respect, as in they have to put it on heat and it and it's heated basically um and there was back when i was involved obviously they people could get different kind of boxes they could get different blanket manufacturers they could kind of have a heat boost they could kind of heat them for longer it was it there was all and in that sense there was a lot of research going into it there was a lot of people kind of i mean teams in their groups will have tired groups which are four five six people strong because tyres are, are the biggest performance differentiator, basically. 
Um, Matt would love yeah. to be in that room, wouldn't he? What can oh, we do? Can we get Matt like a, like a special day pass where he gets to sit in with them? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, I mean, they do lots of things. So they do. Yeah. It's, I won't go into that kind of details because some teams will do it and some teams won't. So I don't want to kind of give away. Um, yeah. Definitely, it's just nobody but us here, Mike. <laughs> um, All right. But no, in that sense, like there's, there's huge remarks because it, as well, you, you saw, which has also been lamped on in the TD, there was bits where teams were removing the, the blankets early or they were removing them at a certain point because obviously you got to hit minimum pressures and then it's all about kind of trying to get it to that point and running, actually once the car goes on track, is it running above the minimum pressure? Because you actually want to run the tyres lower than the minimum pressure. I mean... Christ, the minimum pressure is now on these tyres. All right, we've moved to 18-inch, but most of the time we're looking at 24, 25 PSI in the front. Um, and, yeah, not much lower on the rear. I mean, I remember back 10 years ago where there was no minimum pressures. There was there was a kind of a, not requirement, what's the word, um, a recommendation that you should be running them. And that is usually about 16 PSI. And I remember sometimes we were sending the car out with potentially down at 13, 14 um, in terms of that. Um, So there was like, that was kind of the big thing. And and that's a lot of the understanding at the moment. And I think this is the understanding as well, which teams do or don't have that they're trying to get these kind of windows is that obviously the pressure goes up over the lap. So, on old Barcelona, for example, you used to want need to get the tire remaining in condition for the whole lap, and you then you have to do your outlap in a certain way. And this is sometimes where you get these kind of ridiculously slow outlaps because you're trying to get the pressures down so they optimize for the first part of the sector, and then and then by the end of the lap they're not go reaching too high. And 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 this is a lot of the work they're trying to do to try and get it in this kind of window. So it's not just tire temperature; it's the the, the pressures of the tire as well. And obviously now you've got the kind of minimum running pressure, which is monitored. So they obviously can't kind of drop yeah. behind that over as they get flagged. So that's a, another element as well to, to look into. Were you at Mercedes during the, the Singapore Lewis Hamilton miracle qualifying lap where he did that last ditch lap where he'd done, like I think he they'd figured out that he basically had to crawl around around on the outlap and then sort of blew everyone away by several, by several tenths. The thing that was just after me. I believe, mm. yeah, yeah. My that was fun. My memories of Singapore are uh, not as good. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's get, uh, end up with some quick fire questions from from the listeners. So uh, nice, quick answers to these. Then uh, Jordan says, "Are there any tracks where you thought, oh man, if we nail this strategy and everything goes right, we're still getting seventeenth because we'll be slow here as well." Yeah, unfortunately, in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, a lot of the time that was the case of yeah, you're often in those kind of situations when you've got a car which is is slower and is slower by four or five times compared to the midfield. You're looking for outside influences to kind of give you any kind of hope in that sense. So, if you do the right strategy, unfortunately, the main thing is yeah, if you do the right strategy, you might gain a position, you might gain two. So then you're going to win like seventeen. You're not going to gain the kind of 10 positions you need to score points unfortunately from it so you need some kind of yeah random occurrence some lots of cars crashing out rain hurricanes whatever to kind of <laughs> try and, try oh, and come on quick hurricane yeah which is why which was <laughs> okay. always fun because like the driver would come and say what can we do and i say well i've got this one strategy which was gained us points oh let's do it 
you do realize I've done a million simulations and this has happened once. Yeah, I don't mind. Let's do it. And then let's he comes try. after the race. Let's Obviously, it doesn't work. And you go, I don't want to do that again. I said, I did one. Yeah. <laughs> or you're there going, oh, Roman, we're just uh, we're in our hurricane window right now. So just hang on in there. There might be a hurricane. Uh, an, an anonymous questioner says, has Hulkenberg beating Magnussen surprised you? Um, not really. No. Um, I, oh. I, I mean, I don't like... It's, it's a difficult one to kind of say, like, Hulkenberg... Like, Kevin's obviously he's a good driver, and, and like Hulkenberg's a good driver. Obviously, Hulk's had a couple of years out, but then Kevin had a year out, and it's... it's it, I think it's very much a case of they've been on the game like slightly differently. I think Kev struggled a little bit more with the car this year by the looks of it. Um, and Hulkenberg's come out where he's maybe had a nice refresh and he's in, in, in a bit on form. Um, but it's, it's difficult, isn't it? One where like, yeah, qualifying position's been great, but then the car's gone backwards in a race. So it's it's even though mm. being Kev, it's, it's like, I think in the races, they've looked a lot more matched um, in, in terms of, performance but obviously Hulk had that benefit of starting potentially 10 positions higher than Kev <laughs> so then he obviously still finishes because it's so closely matching that midfield he, he gets that good kind of performance um yeah I mean no I was always expecting Hulk to do well coming into the season um he's a good driver he's always been a good driver and I think you like people like Alonso show but yeah you, you don't suddenly lose it when you when you've had a bit of time out from F1 is I think he's been quite involved as well hasn't he I think He's still done a race each. He did a race last season as well for Aston Martin. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I think he raced for every. He's raced for every other team on the grid. Yeah. In his in his sabbatical. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Stuart. <laughs> so he's getting Stuart. involved enough. He's not like he's totally gone away and, and not done anything at all. So yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, Stuart Neal's one might be a long one, Matt. Uh, a few people have asked about Ferrari. Stuart Neal says. Uh, as a former senior strategy engineer, can Mike shed any light on what happens at Ferrari? And and somebody else, I think it was our own Carl Power, said, um, how, how would you fix Ferrari and on a race day? Um, I mean, a lot of people have tried, haven't they? There's, um, <laughs> I'm guessing in terms of, I, I don't know the full structure which goes on there. I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, if there's like, it's kind of decisions by committee or it's, it's something else at play. I mean, it's, there's definitely, Issues there, and not not just as Chase, it's throughout the whole team. I, I think it's they're, they're not obviously capitalising on the performance they should do throughout the whole car. Um, and I think sometimes I'm and I'll always defend strategists up and down the grid for this. Is like sometimes they're they're the easy targets because ultimately on race day they go, oh why why did you do that? And then sometimes as relating back to the question about seventeenth, like finishing seventeenth, if you nail the strategy. If you know your car's got flaws, sometimes you've got to try things a little bit differently to beat others, and sometimes that doesn't work, and you look a bit stupid because of it. But you know, if you've done the same as everyone around you, you don't gain any positions, or in fact, if your car's got issues, you lose positions. So, yeah, I sometimes, I sometimes feel the strategy department at Ferrari gets a little bit, a little bit more stick than they deserve. Um, in in that respect, uh, it's the the. They're potentially looking for options to hide to to hide flaws elsewhere in the in the car slash team. I don't know, Matt. I think we need to get Mike into a pub or a karting event. We need to get yeah. some beers down him to get his real. <laughs> that was a cop out. He was being too nice. <laughs> He knows. He knows. He knows who's not picking up the cell phone on the yacht and answering the question <laughs> fast enough. 
Excellent. We'll get going there. Make sure you go and follow Mike Caulfield at Mike Caulfield F1 on Twitter, on X. And I don't know if you've migrated to, to threads or not, but make sure you go and um, follow him there. Oh, you've gone all private on Twitter again, Mike. What are you getting up to? Why, why are you sketchy on Twitter? Yeah, I was just I just have a little pause over the shutdown. So have a little break. Yeah, a little break. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, in that case, I'll put Mike's home address in the show notes below and you can go and follow him there. Thank you so much for your time, Mike. Make sure you go and follow Matt Two Rumpets at MattPT55 and, uh, of course, follow me as well at Spanners Ready. I am, after all, the best one. A lot of content this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. We always love your feedback. Feedback at MissedApex.net and we'd always appreciate if you'd consider being a patron at patreon.com forward slash MissedApex. We'll see you for the Dutch Grand Prix review on Sunday, 8 p.m. Be there. Matt will be there. Alex will be there. Antonio will be there. Make sure you're there as well. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Okay, Mike, we're, we're, we're off air, I promise. I've, I've stopped the recording now, I promise I have. Now, tell us what you really think, Ferrari. Bun- bunch of turnips, right? Come on, come on, Mike. Looks like there's a red light still flashing in that corner. Don't curse you. Curse <laughs> this app and its red light. So close. So close. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 